It's the Hoffman Show, final hour here on the Team 980. Of course, you're home not just for the most commanders talk in D.C., but Wizards basketball as well. Dave Johnson will join us from Cleveland coming up in about 12 minutes. We spend the next 10, though, with our buddy Mitch Tischler, uh, of course, Beltway football podcast. Mitchell, Happy New Year, sir. How are you? Happy New Year to you, too. I'm doing well. How about you? Uh, I'm doing well, Mitch. We finally have made it. Uh, I mean, I don't want to speak too soon, but I, th- I think we're we're basically in the clear. There is clear runway ahead. The end of the season is finally coming. I mean, thank goodness. It's been uh, a good good four or five weeks where I've uh, been struggling to uh, try and talk real football and, and have meaningful conversations that matter. But, uh, yeah, we're about, uh, what would you say, five, six days away from uh, sweeping changes, and uh, finally we can start talking about, you know, what the future might look like. For sure. Although it's still at this point is so hypothetical. I mean, I was ready to just scream in the first hour. We got we're, we've now reached like the point where people are calling in with like these super hot QB takes because they've watched two games worth of highlights. And I'm just like, this cannot be my life for the next four months. So I'm going to I'm going to ask you, like, is there anything that at this point on January 3rd, whether it's organizational structure, the way they need to go at quarterback, that at least high level, you feel very strongly and definitively about? Yeah, I mean, it's been a long time since this franchise built out a football operation the way that most NFL franchises do. And that starts with hiring your top football person, whether that's a GM or a VP of player personnel or whatever wording you want to use for that top person and kind of building on down from that. And I say that because obviously there are a ton of names that we can talk about for head coach. There's a ton of names you can talk about for GM, but I want the organization and the Harris group to decide who is going to be their top football person and let that football person start building out where we go from there. And that might mean we have a little bit of time between the first hi- between the firing, the first hiring, and then ultimately when you go out and get an actual head coach of the football team. And that's okay. This can be a process that doesn't have to be fed through. It can be deliberate. I'm sure they've done a ton of work all season on folks that they're interested in. But I want this thing to be built out as you see other professional NFL franchises built out, and that's from the top on down and not – mixing and matching and forcing a GM with a head coach that might not necessarily gel or an OC with a head coach that, you know, aren't on the same page. And so uh, as we get to kind of the end of the season, you know, there's going to be a lot of clamoring and there's going to be a lot of talk of names that folks have heard or read about. I I want this, I want this to be very deliberate and very, uh, and, 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 and in a succession. You and I are on the exact same page. Organizational structure is the thing that I feel most strongly about, um, I do worry, worry is too strong, but like, I do wonder the timeline element of this, like, you know, obviously the deeper you go into the coaching cycle, the deeper you go into the executive cycle, more people get hired, uh, and become not uh, available to you as options. So how critical is it in your mind to at least get that top person in quickly so you can get on people's radars and be like, Hey, we're interested in you. And, you know, do you have like strong feelings on whether that's an executive or president of football operations, an executive VP, or just like, do you just go hire the GM? You know, um, I, I think based on the way that we've seen kind of other Harris owned teams be built out over the years, they're probably going to go with some president of football operations and then kind of work your way down. And that's okay. Um, 
I agree with you. You know, obviously, the longer the all the rest of the hirings take, you know, the more coaches that you know may get may get uh, may get hired out from under you. But at the end of the day, based on where this team is and where it needs to get to, it's so much more important to get that organizational chart correct than it is to land the the hottest head coach candidate. If the season ends and the Lions lose in the first round and the Panthers offer $20 million a year, okay. You know, obviously we all would have liked, you know, uh, uh, Ben Johnson to be the, the, the head coach. But, you know, if, if he ends up not being the guy, he ends up not being the guy. And so to me, yeah, I would, I would like to start getting those guys in early. But if you start looking at, you know, some of these teams that are going to make deep runs in the playoffs and you're not able to pull a GM out of there who you might want to be either your GM or your president of football operations or whatever role it is, uh, I'm okay with being patient here. And, you know, I'd like to get the best head coach possible, but more so I want to get the, uh, I want to get the, the top of the order right first and then work my way down. Mitch Tischler, Beltway Football Podcast with us here on the Hoffman Show. Ready for the unpopular question, Mitch? Well, are you going to hit me with a draft question right away? No, no. I, we have four months to do draft. I'm, I'm good on that. Here's my, here's oh. my unpopular question. Is there anybody that you think should stay? Like organizationally, whether it's business side, someone who you think has done a good job, someone in, you know, scouts, front office type, the strength staff, if you're on the EB, should get more uh, of a shot side. Like, is there anybody that you're like, hey, I know everyone just wants to clean a house, but I think this person actually it would be worth keeping. Or are you on full, like almost clean house for the sake of cleaning house? So I got to be honest with you. I, I, I've 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 done this a couple of different times, and and maybe it's maybe it's a cop out or whatever. I, I do think there needs to be a massive overhaul. Um, I also think it's incredibly distasteful to uh, to to be uh, you know posturing about who we think is going to get fired and who's not going to get fired and who deserves to stay and and who doesn't deserve to stay per se. I, I do believe that. 98% of the names that folks know in the organization will probably be, uh, will probably be uh, moved on from. And uh, I, I do think that when you get into some of the area scouts and some of the, the deeper dive there, some folks who I feel like have done a pretty decent job but maybe haven't had their voice listened to as much as they should, maybe some of those folks uh, are, are in the group that stays. But, you know, I, I hate going back to it, but ultimately – Whoever that top football person is, is the one I want making the decisions, not, you know, kind of this uh, court of public opinion. And, you know, you said it at the beginning of the, of, the, of the hour, you know, people watch Michael Penick play one football game and all of a sudden he should be the number one overall pick. You know, people are going to read one article about, ex- about this, this employee and think he or she is either the best or the worst without, you know, having a, a real grasp of what the, uh, the overall uh, work uh, that's been done there. So, so to me, to, to start, you know, kind of guessing who's going to stay, who's going to go, is 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 kind of not really a lane that I really want to want to go down. Honestly, that's a great answer though, because I think you tell people something as someone who's out there every day, someone who's been around this organization and knows a lot of people, something that they might not realize, which is like, oh, these draft picks for Rivera or the Rivera era have been terrible, and it's like, yeah, well, sometimes they're scouts that had different thoughts and different opinions, and. 
I think that that's important to realize that like some level of continuity is always important. Not everyone who is involved in all these decisions actually necessarily agree with him. That is the nature of a large organization. And it's why I asked it specifically in terms of like, if there's anybody that you were like, I really like that person's work. Um, and obviously I think there's some people that we probably both could highlight that nobody has either heard of or cared about, but I did intentionally ask it that way in terms of staying versus like, Hey, who are you most excited to see fired? Because at the end of the day, these are human beings. And, and I think that's important to remember, even if we're all ready for the changes to happen, it's because we know they're coming and the purgatory sucks, not because we're looking forward to, to people losing their jobs. Right. And as frustrating as this season and the past four years and heck, the past three decades have been, uh, you know, folks shouldn't be celebrating, you know, other folks, other folks getting fired. But, you know, it's kind of kind of besides the point. I think that, you know, when it comes down to it, uh, you know, the, the the Harris group doesn't have a ton of football first knowledge. So kind of everything that they're going to be doing is going to be, you know, kind of a first uh, for them within the ranks of the NFL. So, you know, as much as we talk about kind of the hot young guns and, you know, some of these names that folks are excited about, I think you also have to understand that there needs to be some, you know, kind of organizational and, and national football league kind of, kind of history and, and folks that know kind of how, how everything works and the ins and outs of it. So, you know, as much as, as much as, you know, some of these, you know, young head coaches are going to be, you know, super exciting to, to talk about, you do need somebody, you do need some of that kind of, you know, organizational knowledge and, and kind of the way that the NFL works. So uh, I do think there's going to be a nice mix of kind of, you know, veterans, old heads, guys who have been there, done that, men and women who have been there and done that. And then obviously as you work your way down, there'll be some, you know, some young fresh minds that that should be a, and I, I think that's kind of a, a great way to start building an organization with a lot of different ideas from a lot of different places um, and, and, and building, building off of that. No doubt about it. Uh, and obviously for more on all of that from Mitch's perspective as well as J.P. Finley's, you can check out the Beltway Football Podcast wherever you get your pods. Uh, Mitchell, thank you for your time as always. I will see you, uh, I guess, at FedEx on Sunday and then uh, for whatever whatever happens on Monday. Yep, we're going to have a long uh, 24 hours there between uh, the Sunday afternoon game and, and locker cleanout, and then whatever happens on uh, on Monday afternoon. Yes, it is going to be, but uh, we'll all do it together. So that's that's fun. Uh, thanks, Mitch. See you, buddy. Absolutely. Thank you, bud. All right, that is Mitch Tischler with us here on the Hoffman Show. Dave Johnson joins us on a Wizards game day from Cleveland next. It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app. Wizards game days. We're about 30 minutes from pregame in Cleveland. Hello, Cleveland. And that means it's time to say hello to Dave Johnson. Anthony, proper introduction, please. Time to get the radio party started. Blocked by Bilal Kulabali. Oh, oh, boy, did he stuff him. Left wing pull. It's wow. there. Oh, that's a pool party. Into the basket. Slam right there. Oh, the steal the oh. slam. You better go off. Intercepted by Kispert. Kispert now. Foul line. Oh, slam. Ooh. That'll draw your preserves. It's time for Dave Johnson on a Wizards game day. Kuzma for three. Oh, it's there! It's there! Big, big shot! On the Hoffman Show. Hey, hey, you better go on. Dave joins us from Cleveland ahead of the first of two Cavs-Wizards games in Cleveland this week. Dave, Happy New Year. Uh, how was your New Year's? 
Well, you know, Happy New Year. As, as always, I was in bed by 10 after that thrilling uh, Wizards game on Sunday where we almost won two in a row. And I was just looking at the, the court here at the Rocket Field, uh, Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse, whatever this place is called. And in big letters across the middle of the court, it says the land. And just reminded me that, that somehow all this hip stuff, like, you know, we call uh, where we live the DMV, right? But I don't, I grew up in the, the DMV, but I don't remember when we started calling it the DMV. And so now Cleveland is the land. So it's just, uh, you know, we, we have perfectly good city names, uh, but that's not good enough. And, and uh, again, we have individual identities in our, our respective states, Maryland, Virginia, and D.C., as people out there are probably saying, yeah, D.C. should be a state. So, uh, but, but yet we... Well, we're the DMV or we're the land. So it's just, see, this is what happens. You have to understand, when you reach game 33 of an NBA season, this is where your mind starts to wander. Mm -hmm. I see. No, I feel like the land started when LeBron was there. Uh, there was like, and, and Cleveland has been nicknamed Believeland before. And I wonder if it became, went Believeland to just the land, like believe land to just the land that I feel like you should, you should ask around Dave and, this could be material for you and Glenn to, to dice up, you know, I don't know, mid-second quarter-ish tonight? Well, and we're here We're here again on Friday, so right. I will uh, endeavor to report back uh, to uh, the Hoffman Show listening audience on, on the the uh, genesis or etymology, I think is the correct word, or is that oh, something yeah. to do with plants? I uh, forget. But no, etymology way, is correct. That's correct. So I, I <laughs> yeah, I'm showing off that Towson State education again. So... Um, it's just, it just an interesting thought that, that occurred to me. Is I, it, it's big letters. It, it says the land. And so, but, you know, this is, this is part of the time change. I mean, I've been doing NBA games so long. I, I remember coming here when the flats were hot. Uh, I don't know if you remember the flats. And that's where when Cleveland had an all-star game in the early 90s. And everybody would say, well, the flats are great. Well, the flats are done. They're gone now. And, it's, and Cleveland, it's the hot place is downtown. So things things change. Things things definitely do change. Uh, unfortunately, uh, like the Wizards. Out. Yeah, no, th- that's good note. Good note. Um, the Wizards. The Wizards are trying to change their their record. I'm trying to try. That was my best shot of the transition, Dave. I don't know if it was particularly great, but we're just going to keep it moving. Um, they're trying. They're trying to change their fortunes this season. I mean, obviously, we know that. Long term, like they don't really care about the result of this season. They are in such a deep hole. It's not like they're trying to make the playoffs, but they've certainly been more competitive as of late. They've won a couple of games uh, in the last two weeks or so. Uh, four point loss uh, to to Atlanta the the other day. H- how do you think that over the next month this rotation starts to change? And do you think we see more of guys like Bilal Koulibaly, uh, et cetera, over the next month? And and obviously we had a big NBA trade with the Knicks this weekend, like. You know, are we now kind of in that mode where we're all on alert at all times for some of the changes we expect to come to happen sooner rather than later? Well, I don't know if you're going to see dramatic changes. And with Bilal Kulabali, look, they've been they've been terrifically pleased with this progress, but they they have the luxury of, of bringing him along uh, at the pace they want to bring him along at. So, uh, and that's that was what they indicated uh, when I say they, the Wizards manager at the start of the season, and I don't I don't expect that. Uh, to, to change, I, I do expect more wins in, in, in January, and I understand that's you know <laughs> it's a low bar, but uh, but but the point is this team is is trending in the right direction. It could have won 
uh, two in a row against, against uh, Atlanta after the win over Brooklyn the other night. So if you look at this overall, some of the defensive numbers are still not great. But if you, if you break it down in segments, it, it is absolutely trending better. And so now we've returned the calendar and we're getting closer to the all-star break, a.k.a. you know the trade deadline time. Um, it's going to be an interesting time because, look, this is part of, of what is going on with this, this team. This is, this is not the roster we're going to roll with for the next four years or whatever. It's, it's the beginning. I, I, I was talking to somebody earlier today. I, look, I believe Kyle Kuzma is, is somebody that you can, you can go to bed at night saying this is part, he's part of the long-term future. He came back to this franchise. He signed a, a contract extension. He's playing, quite frankly, at an all-star level. He's a player that they've identified that they want him to be a part of this team going forward. Now, uh, you know, Tyus Jones is having a terrific season. He's leading the NBA in assistant turnover uh, ratio. He is just a wonderful, wonderful guy. Uh, but, you know, I bet you there's a lot of teams out there looking at him. Um, and I don't know that. I, as I said, I use the official term, I bet you. <laughs> so it's going to be an interesting six weeks from a standpoint of, of what the Wizards want to have going forward because when you look at who, to me, is the talk of the NBA this season, it's the Orlando Magic. Well, how did they do it? Well, they, they acquired a number of picks. They made the right deal. Um, so that's, that's what the Wizards want to get out of this season. Uh, a couple of things. Progress from players and, and helping identify which younger players that say, you know what, we, we think you know, he's part of our either short-term or long-term future. And you want to have, which we do have, you have we already have cap flexibility, but then you, you want to have more picks. You want to have more options. Because that's going to increase, I think, your probability of success going forward in, in really having sustained success when you do have options. Because you know what? And this includes Orlando. You're, you're not going to get every draft pick, I don't think, 100% right. It'd be nice if you did. But that's, you know, drafting players is such a, a leap of faith in terms of you're trying to say, all right, well, this guy did this in Europe or here or where, and now how does it translate to the NBA game, which which is in its own solar system. So, and this is why, and I hope people are enjoying our, our live posting show on home days and the Caesar Sportsbook, is we interact with fans that, that you know, are, are there every night, and, and they get it. They understand that, uh, um, you know, this is the season where, for lack of a better term, you, you can experiment. Uh, you know, does that mean more minutes for certain players at certain points? I don't have the answer to that right now, but I think all things are possible over the next three months. It's, it's as we turn into, you know, I've been doing this long enough, you get into January, man, it, it goes fast. It does. I think it's a great point, too, about with, with Bilal, like the ability to be patient. Like you have the luxury. You don't need to test him 
uh, or push him any faster than than you need or that maybe even fans want. I know there's some some prominent fans and bloggers, et cetera, who are like, I want to see Bilal doing this. And it's like, why? We're 30 games in or whatever we are. Uh, and another team that maybe on Friday, Dave, since we're playing a back-to-back, we can talk a little bit more how Cleveland's been built and if that could be a model as well. Uh, in the meantime, we let you prepare because your pregame show starts in, oh, God, math, Dave. Why did I do this to myself? 18 minutes. 18 minutes until there we you go. Glenn 18 minutes. Yeah. There we go. No, we're, we're looking forward to it. And listen, you mentioned Cleveland. Uh, this is a team that has, you know, is putting a nice package together. But having said that, they're struggling right now because yeah. they have injuries to key players. So when we talk about all the ways you get successful going forward, <laughs> You also have to stay healthy, and we know that all too well in Washington. For sure. I mean, they were in many ways the Orlando uh, last year and then then see where they are now. So we can talk more about that on Friday. In the meantime, uh, Dave, uh, we'll be back uh, on your radio via the radio party, the Wizards Radio Network, coming up at 645. Uh, Thank you, sir, and we'll talk to you on Friday. Sounds great. Sounds great. All All right. That is Dave Johnson with us here on the Hoffman Show. When we get back, Jahan Dotson had some very interesting comments in the commander's locker room today. Uh, we will talk about them next and then some funnier sound bites and real things real people said into real microphones. It's often showing the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app. Wrapping up here on this Wednesday. And uh, typically this last segment, we just kind of get goofy and we get to real things and we tell you what's coming up on the show tomorrow. But occasionally something crosses our radar that is uh, worth our attention, Anthony. And uh, this from Jahan Jahan Dotson, he said. This from Jahan Dotson is worth our attention. You're in between the lines. What do you think this team needs going forward next year to kind of get more wins, get over the hump? Um, I would say as far as players, just a – sense of culture um you know just we, we got to have a mindset in here that we we want change uh we we can't we can't just accept this this type of stuff because this is really hard on a lot of people um and i know a lot of people come from winning backgrounds uh so we we got to bring that stuff in here we we can't accept anything but winning honestly um and that, that starts with us players um no matter who the coaches are uh, yeah, it starts with us. Uh, we we got to bring our best foot um, and make sure that we go out every Sunday and, and bring it. When you say culture, is that is that on the players or do the coaches feed into that? Um, I, I feel like it, it's everyone, but, you know, it, I feel like the best teams uh, that you see in any sport are player-led. Um, your, your captains, they, they step up, um, and everyone really follows because when, you, when you're surrounded by, by guys who are hungry and want to win, you know, it it trickles down. Uh, it's a domino effect. So I feel like that, that's where we, we can start. That clip is about a minute and 13 long, and I could do a three-hour show on it. And it, There's so much there that is interesting. And I think the two biggest points that come to mind are this. One, I actually think Jahan is wrong on the best teams being player-led. I think the best teams have the illusion of being player-led. The best teams have, from front office to coaching staff, a culture and a standard that brings in the right people that are of the same mindset, and thus it is so cohesive, and the players are the one that act on it the most 
that it feels player-led. But I actually don't think, outside of the rare, truly phenomenal individual leaders, that the best organizations are player-led. That's why it's called leadership. Leadership starts at the top. Now, there is elements of servant leadership, uh, which is something that I, I believe strongly in as a successful way to lead people, as in the people with more power feel like they serve to exist, or they exist to serve the people with less power. Coaches are there to empower and serve their players versus the other way around. I think that, that it creates buy-in. It creates a cohesiveness. It creates all the things you need to be successful. But it actually low-key, quietly starts at the top as opposed to actually being something that the players have to implement from the bottom and overcome a lack of seriousness, a lack of focus, a lack of cohesion on a coaching staff, in a front office, etc. But it starts at the top, not just with the attitudes and the approaches and the professionalism and a standard, but with the actual recruitment of the who those players are in the first place. And that is an area where I do not think this regime has succeeded. Straight up to it, they have not succeeded in that area. I think the other most interesting part of that comment is at the beginning when he talks about we have to be ready to want to change. And I wonder if that goes back to some of the preseason friction with Eric Bieniemy and members of this team and members of the staff that has since come out, that there are guys uh, uh, in the locker room and guys in the coaching offices that weren't particularly fond of the way that Eric Bieniemy did business. And I think that there, from the stuff that you hear, were there times that maybe EB needed to do better? Yes, and I'll expand on that in a second. But I do think there is also something to the credence that he knew what it took. Other people were comfortable. When he pushed them out of their comfort zone, they didn't like it very much. They weren't really ready to change. Now, the, the EB side that I would, if I was talking to Eric and being like, hey, dude, do you want to succeed in this league or not? Do you want to just do things your way or do you want to actually win? Is you have to meet people where they are. And as this is, again, like the player-led theme, it just in, in coaching and in player-to-coach relationships, you have to be able to meet people where they are and bring them to where you want to go. In the NFL, you do not have the luxury because of contracts to just say, my way or the highway, get out. Maybe maybe as a head coach you do. I mean, in many ways, that's what Ron did at the beginning. Ron came in and he flipped the entire roster. I think he flipped too many people, to be honest, in, in certain positions, certain people. There, there were probably guys that he kicked out that he shouldn't have because they were like, oh, it's not my guy. And it's like, yeah, but he's good. Get over it. Bring him onto your side. He can be helpful. And so I think that's where Eric erred, if, if you believe that he erred, is there were people that probably could have been more beneficial to the cause if there had been more collaboration. And eventually it's like, hey, this is the standard we need to get to, but I'm going to help you get there versus like, you better meet me here right now. That's not a way to effectively create buy-in. And if you want to be a hard ass, whatever, and call it soft, I guarantee you if your boss did that to you, you wouldn't like it very much and you would say all kinds of terrible things about them because nobody likes it. It's, it's very easy to sit on the sidelines and talk about other people that way 
when in reality you never accept that for yourself. And it's not because you're weak or soft either. It's because that's how human beings work. There's a lot of psychology and neurology that goes into this stuff. You can call me a nerd all you want, but like at the end of the day, we're all just a bunch of skin, bones, muscles, and ultimately brains and nerves that connect all of it. And we can't overcome that simple fact. And so you can either work with it or you can work against it. And I think there were probably some there, like there was a bad job on both sides of being willing to, to work with it as opposed to against it. There was a lack of openness, a, a closure of the window of tolerance. If you're going to go there on the, the neurology side, the, the window of tolerance wasn't very, or wasn't big enough by the players and the coaches who didn't like EB and EB probably wasn't willing to accept working with some of those people to, to open that up and ultimately bring them to where they needed to go. And I think all of that is reflected in Jahan Dotson there, who I think is incredibly bright, who I think is correct on basically everything he said, but also hasn't played particularly well himself this year. And I think he would, if followed up on that, he would say, yeah, I'm a part of the problem on, on certain levels of this. But I think this has happened with Terry when he's come in and he's looked at the culture and been like, I've, we have the ultimate culture at Ohio State. This ain't it. Um, you know, Jahan coming from a Penn State program that won – 10 plus games in a lot of the years he was there um, looking around going like this ain't it or won a ton of games. I don't know Penn state's record. So nobody fact check me on that. It's not the point. He won a lot more than he lost. And just that ain't it. So uh, I, I think John Allen has been fed up and that's part of the reason he's like, maybe I just need to go somewhere else because they ain't, they ain't up for that here. And so I think when we talk about what needs to happen, it's at the top getting people who implement that standard, who are about that life, if you will, uh, in terms of what it truly takes to win, will put forth the resources, time, and effort to do that, and will bring together like-minded individuals, and that's how you change a culture. And so the only thing I disagree with with Jahan is that it's player-led. It's not. It's player-participated in. But it is led by the people at the top who set it and who bring in the right people so that it feels authentically player led because everyone's actually on the same page to begin with. That's, that's the Jahan Dotson uh, sound reaction take. Anthony, do we have time for real things? Uh, yeah, we got about three minutes and 15 seconds. It's time for real things. Real things. We're not going to be said this year. Real people. Five and 11. Not very good. Said into real microphones. You know, the culture is actually damn good. All right, Ant, what do we got for real things today? I know I sent you some stuff and then I, I did a bad job and I don't have the rundown in front of me. So pick pick your favorite. Uh, We got a plethora of things. We have Christian McCaffrey when he first met Travis Kelsey. Oh, that's a good story. Uh, so Christian McCaffrey was on a podcast. Uh, Anthony, if you can look up which podcast or I can look it up real quick. So we give them the proper credit. But uh, it's kind of when he met Travis Kelsey, although they never actually met. Here's the story. Fun Travis Kelsey story. I was in New York. I was by myself. I had taken the train. I get off in Grand Central train station. I'm sitting on the corner right there. I blend in well. Like people think like, yo, what's it like being famous? I'm like, dude, honestly, I could throw this exact outfit on and like maybe a couple people, but like I blend in well. I'm standing on the side of the road. All of a sudden I hear C-Mac. I'm like, what the hell is that? And that's when Travis was shooting SNL. So he's oh, wow. driving in a car and he's in the back of a black car and rolls the window and he's like, C-Mac. <laughs> 
<laughs> see you in the attic. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and that was it. Ever since then, I was like, that's the coolest guy ever. That's dope. Because y'all don't really know each other. I don't know like him at that. all. Like, I didn't know, yeah. I know him zero. Like, yeah. I knew him zero. I know him as much as I know, you know, anyone else that I've only met once. Yeah. That sounds perfectly like Travis Kelsey, by the way, courtesy of the B-Scar TV podcast uh, with Brennan Scarlett. That was, that was a great story. That's a hell of a story. I, I wouldn't know what to do, though, if a guy just ran him. I would have to really know that that's Travis Kelsey because then I would just be I, utterly unlike, confused. Unlike Christian McCaffrey, <laughs> who's like, especially if he's wearing like baggy clothes, because like if Christian McCaffrey to walk by you in T-shirt and shorts, you'd be like, who is that athletic dude? Yeah. You, like one of those were instantaneous. The way he, I mean, even if he's if he's sitting on a corner, it's one thing. If Christian McCaffrey were to walk past you, you'd be like, that dude walks like an athlete. He's one of the most athletic freaks ever. Um, but Travis Kelsey doesn't exactly blend in, and especially when he's screaming with his head out of a black car driving in New York City. Yeah, on the week that he's host, hosting SNL. I would love to meet Travis Kelsey. It's, it sounds like a great time. Yes. Uh, do we have time to play the other Christian McCaffrey one? Uh, if not, I can tell the story. No, we don't. Okay. Um, since we only have like 20 seconds left in the show. Basically, Christian McCaffrey was signing a bunch of autographs. They were slotting a bunch of hats by him. And someone tried to slip a USC, as in Southern Cal hat. Uh, if you remember, Christian McCaffrey went to Stanford. And he goes to sign. He's like, wait a sec. Hold on. You guys, you're not sliding this by me. And he wrote his stats from when he personally destroyed USC in the Pac-12 championship game in 2015, signed the hat, circled the SC, and put a line through it. Brilliant. Uh, we'll see you tomorrow on The Hoffman Show.